0: Thank you for listening to this episode of How We Interview Podcast. I have the pleasure of being with my good friend, Derek Murphy-Johnson. Derek leads talent attraction and uh, recruitment marketing at Vestas. I'll let him talk about that. Derek's also my friend. We've known each other for some time, and he is one of my founder friends. Like If I have an issue or I'm confused, which is more often than I care to admit, uh, Derek is kind of my anchor, my North Star, and I know he's going to give me really good guidance. So, Derek, thank you for being on. Awesome! Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Um, you've got amazing experience in the space. I, I would love it if you you could give uh, the listeners uh, just kind of a, a rundown on your background and how you how you got into the space.
1: Yeah, so like a lot of people, I fell into talent acquisition. So I was in sales and marketing for a hospitality organization and fell into uh, recruiting. Uh, So I uh, have been in recruiting over 20 years, uh, spanning hospitality, healthcare, emergency medicine, veterinarian, retail, childcare, and now renewable energy. Um, So the last 10 to 15 years, I've been leading talent acquisition teams, uh, and then uh, most recently have been focused on recruitment marketing and uh, talent attraction.
0: Yeah, I your, your background's super impressive. And I think what's what's really interesting is is all the different spaces you've you've worked and been in. Um during my my sabbatical, you've been so helpful in sending me leads. People reach out, people reaching out to you constantly just because your background is so rich. And uh it, it's one of the reasons I'm so excited about our discussion today. Um so that that said, um, Recruiting has been kind of weird the last few years, right? I mean, yeah. you know, we, we had we had kind of the the good late teens into COVID, into the crazy upswing, into whatever the hell we want to call this now. I, I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts on the the state of talent acquisition, um, how we interview has changed, and and maybe without getting too in the weeds, because I'm kind of getting in the weeds, but like, it's so interesting to me how we interview is really based on who has the upper hand, whether it's the employer or or the candidate, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, with, with so many, so much conversation about AI out there, I think like we're, from a talent acquisition perspective, we're really missing out on AI from a candidate experience perspective. Uh, you know, I uh, also was a job seeker not that long ago. I've only been with bessis for a few months. And telling you, like, the amount of time that it takes to hear from somebody, if you hear from somebody after the time of apply, so it's crazy. And, you know, when I'm talking with my friends, there's just a an abundance of applicants due to the wacky state of the economy and the negative impact that it has with organizations, you know. Geico just announced they, you know, eliminated six percent of their, um, I believe their corporate office or their employee count, uh, and that's just one of the organizations lately that have been announcing these type of cuts to kind of deal with inflation or supply chain issues or whatever that has been happening in the past few years. And so as a result, there's more talent on the market than there had been previously. And I think recruiting has been, you know, kind of sliced and diced up, going into COVID, coming out of COVID. I think, you know, uh, what was it, a year or two ago? Trying to find a recruiter was nearly impossible. as like hiring a recruiter was one of the hardest jobs to fill, and if in America, if not the world, and we've seen, you know, colleagues uh, and friends get laid off, and whole talent acquisition departments get downsized or eliminated. And now they're trying to manage this high rec loads. And as we all know, talent acquisition is often seen as a cost center, not a cost generator for organizations. But what I think is like organizations don't understand the direct impact of both the consumer as well as the candidate brand implications by that talent acquisition interaction. And so the recruiting team is trying to do the best they can. And trying to keep up and trying to review resumes and provide feedback timely. But it's, in my experience, the applications I or applicant tracking systems I've used, it's a very cumbersome process to being able to even send templated messages to candidates of, hey, I've received your resume. Sorry for the delay. So I, I kind of went on a tangent there. <laughs> so I don't know if I answered your question.
0: You did. And, and it was a really, really rich answer because. I think prior to this downturn, there, there was a huge focus on candidate experience, irregardless mm-hmm. of industry, right? And and once things switched, they didn't have to treat candidates good because they had the upper hand. They had they were exactly lousy with candidates. Like they had more candidates than knew what to do with. And my fear is and you and I have been doing this a long time. And and I can't believe you've been doing this 20 years because you look 25, which means <laughs> you're very cool. But this is going to switch. And when it switches, it's, it's it's not going to be announced. It's going to catch everyone by surprise, except for people that have been through a few of these cycles. And what's going to happen is, is people will over-rotate back into over-communication and really mm-hmm. look experience when they really shouldn't have gotten into the first place, regardless of how big their rec load was, how many applicants per rec they had. And then you mentioned ATS systems. Um you know, I have yet to see an applicant tracking system that is built for Canada experience. They're filing cabinets, right? They're built for compliance, exactly. and compliance only. And so there's lots of CRM overlays or a lot of your ATS providers will have like a light CRM, but they don't do anything to round out those hard edges, right? They're, they're just, no. it's, it's just, it's just another product. It's not going to do anything to even begin to, Address the the can experience, which is, I mean, for anything like me, um, I feel like we, between the two of us, we've seen a lot of what's out there in regards to how people care for candidates, what what their triage is like, how well they communicate. I won't even say over communicate, because I don't think I've, that's something I've even seen. And, and and so there's really nowhere to go but up. I, I think this is an area that's really just fertile for disruption. And I'd love to see somebody nail it and and yeah. make everybody kind of get because, you know, it goes employer brands, a perfect example, right? Somebody gets a good idea and they're like, Hey, I saw so-and-so's ad. We should do more like that. Perfect. I don't see anything like that in the candidate experience side or how, you know, I, if somebody asked me who are the best five copies in terms of how they interview or care for candidates, I couldn't tell you.
1: No, same. And I think what's, what's funny is like, we have like, organizations out there that measure candidate feedback and provide a nps score but like what are organizations doing with that survey like if the candidate's saying you know this was an atrocious experience or i talked to the recruiter five weeks ago i just got a decline or five months ago i just got a a notice of being declined you know what are organizations doing to for that and how are they actually listening to the candidates because again candidates at some point, especially in some of these niche, niche industries, they may work for you at some point and candidates will remember. and i I haven't seen the the recent stats, but like, um, but I I want to say like a year ago it was candidates would uh, I think like eighty six percent of candidates said they would take less money due to an, an employer's reputation uh, on how they treat their employees and candidates. And I think that's just gonna get higher as we are in this like weird position that we're in with the economy and the jobs, but it's treating people like how you want to be treated. And I, and I have to say that like, it kind of goes out the window from a systems perspective. It's all what the applicant application can do. But like, again, like I don't see a lot of movement to your point on What's it going to do for the candidates? How's it going to make it easier for the candidates?
0: Yeah, and it's—I I use this example all the time, so I'll mix it up. But, um, you buy a rug, ruggable.com. Okay, love them. Right, and, and 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 they're not unique in in kind of the the consumer CPG space, right? It could be it could be Ruggable, it could be Meundies, it could be. Um, you know, PXG golf, it could be anything, but, but the point is once you click purchase, okay, you you know exactly where your order is, when it's left their warehouse, how long it's going to get to you when it's been left on your front doorstep. And I just don't understand why nobody has cracked the code on how can we can't care for candidates the same way. Yeah. Uh, And and, and I will tell you, Ruggable is shipping way more rugs than we are dealing with candidates. So uh, it's it's scalable. Most of this this heavy lifting is being done via technology. And Mm -hmm. and so why are we not caring for for candidates, much like if you bought a a product anywhere online? And and I also think, too, and I I realize I'm preaching to the choir here, Derek, but, you know, yes, those candidates, if treated poorly, may work for you at some point. Even if you treated them poorly and you still hired them, they're gonna you're going to start off on the wrong foot or, gasp, heaven forbid, they use your product or your service and they're going to quit doing that and they're going to mm-hmm. tell everybody they know what an awful experience they had as a candidate. And, and so, yeah. you know, there's got to be some calculation out there. It says if you treat 18% of your candidates like crap and your average customer makes $300 in profit a year, and you get four million applications a year. That's a huge number, and, and that that's a hard cost. Like that's not just kind of I you know pie in the sky. That is that is an expense that your business is going to realize because you're just not offering a great can experience.
1: Yeah, it it goes back to the the Virgin uh, Virgin phone case study where a lady wrote in to I think it was Richard Branson, or may have been the CEO of Virgin Mobile. I can't remember exactly who. And she expressed her frustration. She had, I believe, the lowest phone plan available from a cost perspective, but it was a few hundred dollars a year that she was paying them or maybe, you know, like $2,000 a year. And she wrote in and said, based on your candidate experience, I'm appalled at your my candidate experience. I'm not, I'm going to cancel my phone plan with you. Well, because it reached that, you know, per, person in charge, they took a look at it and it was over a few million dollars a year. That as they looked at the applicant data, if they all had that bad experience, they were going to be they were losing around seven million dollars a year. Don't quote me on the numbers, but your candidate experience, if you're a consumer product or sell to uh, you know the the public, your candidate experience has a direct correlation into your uh, brands and and revenue for the organization. So while well, HR may not be seen as a, a a function that creates revenue it definitely does help protect your brand and solidify the public's perception of who you are as an organization
0: yeah absolutely and hey, thank you for bringing up that case study i'll i'll drop a link in the notes if anybody wants to give that a read i think it's it's one of the few case studies that really in kind of dollars and cents shows the opportunity you know because i i you know on the plus side that you could be yeah a revenue generating or a, a risk avoidance function versus being mm-hmm. a cost center. And yeah, the, it, you you get a hundred recruiters or, or talent leaders in a room and you tell them they're a cost center. You will you just want to watch a bunch of people get uncomfortable all at the same time. <laughs> you know, I think you and I, we spent a lot of time talking about this over the years. It, it's about avoiding risk. It's about strengthening the brand. It's actually about increasing mm-hmm. revenue because if done really well, you will make more fans than you do enemies. It's just an area that is is so it'd be so easy to make a change because it's so damn bad now
2: this episode of how we interview is brought to you by Reimbi. you understand the importance of maximizing your team's efficiency instead of having your recruiters or coordinators spend time with expense reports to reimburse candidates for interview expenses automate the process with Reimbi. Reimbi streamlines the reimbursement process ensuring your candidates receive their reimbursement quickly and accurately your team can focus on other essential aspects of the hiring process by eliminating reimbursement tasks from their workload. Automating reimbursements is a significant improvement to the candidate experience. No more dealing with spreadsheets, attaching receipts to emails, or waiting weeks to receive the payout. With Reimbi, the reimbursement payout to your candidates is sent the same day expenses are approved. To learn more about how Reimbi can help your team, visit That's Reambi, reimbi.com. That's reimbi, r-e-i-m-b-i.com.
0: If you could wave a magic wand and be like, hey, you know, I, what would you fix? Like if you're starting your own organization and let's say you've got customers, you've got revenue, what's the one thing that you would fix that you, that you think would make the biggest difference in terms of the application process, how you interview, assess talent, and then hire, and then how you kind of pull a consistent candidate experience through all that?
1: Oh, that's hard. Um I think one thing that I would do is definitely look for one click apply and, uh, uh, have an option of attaching a resume or not. Mm. I think it would depend on what I, what I hire for. Um, you know, I've worked in uh, several organizations where people don't typically have resumes. So, um, so I think I would have one click apply. Definitely. I think, um, I would have a almost like when you go into a restaurant and you have a host, I would have either some sort of technology or a team to engage that talent uh, and then um, uh, have a great onboarding process. I think the onboarding process is, is kind of broken because when you do find organizations that kind of focus on the top of the funnel, sometimes it's like, yeah, you got the job and then it's crickets until day one. I think that's something that that could also be fixed. Um, you know, we did something in my previous job where we got you know little uh, customized boxes for for new joiners for the organization, something small just to show them that they're more than a number that they're valued. So, I think one-click apply, somebody to kind of keep them warm and keep them engaged at the top of the funnel, um, and then making sure the process didn't suck, you know, it had the recruit, empower the recruiters to make the decisions. Um, so the candidates don't have to go through 10, 12, 15 different interviews before a hiring decisions made and streamlining that interview process. You know, when I was interviewing, I think I went through, you know, I went through, you know, director level, then the C suite level, then the founder level. Then I spoke to a peer level and I was like, what are you getting out of me that these nine other people did not find? So no more than three rounds of an interview and then making a hiring decision.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'd work for you. Uh, you, you you would definitely have my attention because I, I, I do feel, especially in the market we're in now is uh, like interviewing to kind of become a participation trophy. Like I want anybody who's going to interact with this person once hired. I want them to have a say. And And, and I think at some point we kind of lost our, objective autonomy, right? Like mm-hmm. you don't say, you know, people are just terrified of making a mistake because the, the cost of a, a bad hire is tens of thousands of dollars. I get that. But I think over time, we need to have a very good idea of what we're looking for, what good looks like. Do we think this person's got the functional skills to do the job? Are they not a psychopath? If they clear those four bars, you don't need eight or nine interviews to get to that, no. right? I think you'd find that to your point in two or three. I also love the idea of, it almost sounds like if you look at the interview process, you've you've mapped it out, right? And you said, okay, well, where are the three areas where we're feeling the most pain? And I would agree, if we're working backwards, onboarding has always been kind of tricky because organizations or just human nature, you tend to take your foot off the gas, like we got them, you're here now. Yeah. They they let up. And even if the interview process, even if the interview process was amazing. If You let up at the onboarding process, you're really gonna have people scratching their heads. Like, wait, I this is not at all what I signed up for. Like, people don't even mm-hmm. care. I've yeah. I've onboarded, you know, and you, you were assigned onboarding buddy. I'd never even talk to that person, like they just didn't <laughs> exist. Um, and then and then backing up, you, you know, shortening the interview process, fewer gates. Um I, I think as a candidate, you start thinking to yourself, really a ninth, tenth, eleventh round. I mean, at that point, yeah. you know, and and you know the the notion of a bar raiser is is really taking hold and 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 having these loops where you've got 8 10 12 people you, you kind of beat people into the ground um by the time you get and, to the end
1: exactly and then what are you actually interviewing for you know one of the one of my previous roles where I completely flipped the squid switch on our interview process i was in a debrief with you know vice presidents and directors of a function and we got to uh, the vice president, one of the vice presidents, he's like, loved him. I think they're great. Let's hire them. And I was like, would you like to elaborate? And he, he blatantly said, like, you know, I don't actually know why I was interviewing them. And I was like, we are not hiring this person. You don't even know why we're hiring them. And so I went down to basics and I empowered my recruiting team to say, we're going to focus on the intake session and we're going to have that hiring manager outline who's going to be in the interview process in that time. If there's too many people, I want you to tell them there's too many people from a candidate experience perspective. Then we have to do a pre interview party. So that way the hiring manager is telling the interview panel exactly what functional or technical aspects they're interviewing for. And then we're going to have a debrief. And again, we're not going to stray outside of this interview process. We're also going to, uh, um, have alternate. So if somebody's sick, somebody's busy, we're going to have an alternate that can step in. That's going to be in that pre-interview party. So that way we're all on the same tracks. And when we get into the debrief, I'm interviewing for financial acumen, business acumen and leadership. Those are the three areas that I interviewed on. Um, but yeah, to your point, like you can't put people through the ringer and drive them crazy through nine <laughs> rounds of interviews answering the same behavioral-based question all nine different times.
0: Yeah, yeah, 100%. You you mentioned something that we have not talked about uh, on the podcast, and I think is a very underrated part of the interview process. Um, And it's even kind of hidden from candidates, right? So as a candidate, if things go well, a coordinator reaches out, you have a screen, you you meet with a recruiter, you meet with the hiring manager, peers, what have you, nobody ever really talks about like an intake done well or a hiring party done well. I'd love to hear your thoughts on like, what are some best practices to prep to open a role and to create those very clear lines of communication? Cause I mean, how many times have you you filled a role or you had a really good slate of candidates and the hiring manager's like, I changed my mind or yeah, you misunderstood me. I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on like, how, how do you kind of prep to set yourself up for success to be as efficient as possible?
1: Yeah, so um, uh, I'll, I'll pick on that same employer. So we actually created a uh, question guide that we sent to the manager. So we sent a guide to the manager outlining the process. So the HR business partner will work with finance to get the budget approved for the role. Once it comes to us, we'll schedule that intake. Attach is a form of questions that you need to fill out prior to that intake that the recruiter can review and come prepared to talk with. And so those questions were like, what are the top competitors? If you saw this job posting, why would you apply? What does success look like six months from now? Um, You know, what is the succession line for this person? What's the career pathing look like? Um, You know, are you open to somebody not coming from this industry? Um, What does transferable skills look like? Everything that you can think of from a talent acquisition perspective that we run into uh, and that we sent to the hiring manager, the hiring manager had to fill that form out before the recruiters went to the intake. If they didn't get it, my team would say like, hey, Aaron, you didn't fill out that form, I really need that to come prepared. Um, so when the manager would send that to my team, they would take a look at it, make notes of what they wanted to talk about, make notes on the job description or In best case, we'd have a job description that we'd turn into a job profile. And then if they had time, depending on bandwidth, they may have been able to proactively source from and pull some profiles to then talk through what that looks like with that hiring manager. Um, From there, they would outline who the interview panel would be. And we got it to a point where we had one PowerPoint slide and it would have, okay, let's list out the interviewers and let's list out what they're going to be interviewing for. And then that was shared with our coordinators. And so once you went from the the intake to the interview prep to the um, scheduling of the interviews, all of that, all those parties, they all had that slide. And so that's what the recruiter would use to facilitate the debrief at the end of the interview process. Um, So we would always... Uh, we always saw more hiring manager candidate uh, hiring manager satisfaction once we implemented it because they knew what was expected of them. They felt like they had a voice and they were able to um, share what possibilities could look like because I think we've both been in situations where managers are like, "Oh, I want to see all the resumes," or you know, "You rejected somebody I would have hired." But if you give them the opportunity to paint that paint with a brush, broader strokes of This is what good looks like. This is what great looks like. You know what? I know the market's tough. I will also look at people with these transferable skills. That empowers the recruiter a little bit more to really take a a fuller, a full look of the talent population out there. And then in their regular touch bases with the hiring manager, present candidates of, you know, I haven't talked with this candidate yet, but what you said in the intake was X, Y, and Z. That's why I think they would be a fit. Or I screened this candidate, took a chance on them. I was really impressed because of X, Y, and Z. So it really opens up the opportunities of talent that you can bring in. And let's face it, sometimes when you get a job description, there's 17 bullets of re- responsibilities and 24 in the qualifications. And your, your window just shrinks of the type of talent you can bring in. So by having that paint with a bigger brush, it gives the recruiters a little bit more power.
0: Yeah, and in, in what you've done is you've eliminated, or at least you've you've decreased the likelihood that you're going to need a surprise in the middle of the process, right? Because you're 100% locked up. And it's not that, at least my understanding is, it's not that if you have an evergreen role that you're hiring back-end engineers and you're hiring them year-round, you don't need to probably debrief on every single one because those roles right. are as they are. And if you're hiring 17, 20, 30, 50 of these roles, they, they are you have a very clear idea of what from a from an evergreen requisition standpoint, what it, what good looks like. Where it gets really tricky is where you have roles that never existed before, or mm-hmm. you're up-leveling, down-leveling a role, you're combining two roles. That's when that communication, I think, is really, really important. And I love the way you laid that out. I, you know, Failure to prepare um, and get fully aligned with the hiring manager, I think, is where a lot of interviewing kind of dysfunction starts. And so... Yes. I'm so glad I'm so glad you talked about that because I think it's really, really important. One thing you mentioned earlier when you're talking about like Derek's ideal state uh, is having some sort of, be it technology or human, kind of there as a concierge. I'd love to hear you talk about more about that. You say that, I think, about like Paradox, uh, their Olivia product or some others I've seen. And I think those work to a point until you're like, no, I really need to talk to a human. But I'd love to hear a little bit more about that because I think as time goes on, our teams have gotten smaller and I don't know if we'll ever see 2021, 2022 staffing in the town. (laughs) If we do, it's going to be a while. So what Mm -hmm. do you do to kind of a protect ourselves, our peers, our industry, while also leveraging technology to help kind of bridge the gap with candidates?
1: Yeah. I think like, you know, going back to like AI and the use of AI, I think there could really be a way that we can take AI and look and say, Aaron's been sitting in recruiter review for 14 days and set up a rule where a message gets sent out to you like, Hey, Aaron, thanks for considering Acme. Uh, you know, we're still evaluating candidates. Uh, you know, if you would like to, uh, to contact somebody click here and a message would go to like a coordination team or maybe even a live chat, like that'd be the best uh, case scenario. And it doesn't necessarily need to be AI. Like I'm not technical, but, uh, I, I know some pretty awesome people that can write some great Python scripts that could probably do the same type of thing, but all throughout the, that talent pipeline stage of having that touch base, because again, humans are job seekers and they are moms, dads, maybe they're single, maybe they're married, who knows, but they all have bills to pay. And if they're out of work every day that it goes by without lining up work, or having that positive interaction with an employer really plays a toll on their mental um, uh, aspect in life. And it's really dark times at times, especially right now where, you know, there's hundreds of applicants for one job in some field. So by being able to have that touch base in certain aspects of the funnel, or just one email saying, Hey, Aaron, we're having an influx of applications. We want you to know we're going to review with our eyes, not AI, your resume for consideration. If at any point you want to contact somebody, please click here or send an email to just that human aspect of giving candidates what they feel like is the voice of being able to connect with somebody at that employer.
0: Yeah, because the alternative is crickets, right? It's just dead yeah which I think is pretty prevalent in in the space right now just given the constraints on the teams and also kind of you know supply and demand from a labor perspective um belonging I, I think one thing that does not scream belonging is not hearing anything once you've clicked apply. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how organizations can talk about belonging at their organization you know um this this was really really loud. In, as it should have been, you know, in 2020, 2021, 22 economic downturn, it's gotten a little quiet and, it, and it's concerning what, what I want to, what I hope for our industry and our craft is like, this is something we never, ever lose sight of. Mm-hmm. What are, what are some things that like you hold dear organizationally as you're branding your organization, you're you're putting talent top of funnel to make sure they understand what belonging means at your organization, and then also that the organization can actually deliver on those values.
1: Yeah, I think you know a simple thing is employee resource groups, right? Like I think uh, what we saw during 2020 and 2021 was an increase of employee resource groups for the organizations that may not have had them. But um, that's a great way of being able to showcase your commitment to belonging is uh, highlighting your employee resource group blog post, having one of your employees, um, you know, highlight them and say, you know, I'm Derek, I'm in the, you know, the LGBTQ plus ERG group or whatever, and telling their story on your social channels or on your website. I think the other aspect of it too is we have to get involved in uh, association and groups that support diverse populations and um, being able to recognize, or I'm sorry, to highlight those on your career site, your social channels, you know, uh, like for Vestas, right. um, we are part of the women renewable industries and S- sustainability and energy. Um, <laughs> I know it's a it's a tongue tire. Uh, we're a part of that group. And, and so we talk about that a lot, both externally and internally. And then, um, you know, being able to share that with their candidates as they're going through the funnel, not from a a token perspective, oh, you're women, let me tell you that, but telling it to everybody that's going through your process about the ERGs, the way that you're committed to um, giving back to either through community um, support or by participating in panels, professional associations, et cetera, for diverse populations, but telling it on your website, Putting it out on your social channels, and not just from a corporate voice, but actually having those people in those groups tell their story uh, and highlighting those.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, this world's only going to get more diverse. Our our organizations are only going to get more diverse. Even companies that that you know, I, I've heard people say, I, I don't want to say anything for the fear of saying the wrong thing or saying something that's going to anger and exclude someone else. And then the problem with that is if you say nothing, people will assume the worst and you end up Mm -hmm. being the very opposite of an organization that embraces, you know, a diverse workforce. And so I I think that's amazing. And I agree with you hundred percent spot on. Like if if you don't fill the noise with very accurate stories of what belonging means at your organization, people will do it for you. And then, you you know, you're, you're competing with organizations where if they're doing this well and you're not doing it at all, or you're doing it poorly, that they're, they are going to opt out. Um, then they will, they will vote with their feet and they'll work elsewhere where they can feel like they belong.
1: Yeah. And I think candidates as well as employees too, your comment about companies staying silent. Um, your employees will also notice that, that you're staying silent. Like this, is this is, something that is not just candidate facing it's also for your employees as well
0: yeah it speaks volumes right absolutely uh, you're saying nothing you're you're saying everything and man that's that's way too deep but that, yeah i i think that's that's so well said Derek. um this has been an awesome conversation you and i could do this for 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 days on end i, I have the feeling thank you for for coming on the podcast people are going to listen to this and be like Der- Derek's awesome how do you folks reach out to you and connect
1: Yeah. uh, So I'm on LinkedIn. I'm probably the only Derek Murphy Johnson on LinkedIn, but um, you can find me on LinkedIn. I have the turquoise glasses and the beard. So uh, find me on LinkedIn. Happy to connect and and chat more.
0: I love it. Your beard's looking great, by the
1: way. Thank you for being on, Derek. Yeah. Thank you.
2: Thanks for listening to this episode of the How We Interview podcast brought to you by Reemby. Head to our website at howweinterview.com to find the show notes and links mentioned in this episode. While you're there, subscribe to the podcast through your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. Leaving us a rating and review also helps us reach more listeners interested in learning from other talent acquisition professionals.